No Exit with Nicholas Corice contains explicit language and content. Listener discretion is advised. It was about six o'clock when they came knocking at my door. I'd been cleaning my guns at the dinner table, what with Sandra and the kids having left me for over a month now. I was less shy about leaving the tools of the trade right in the open. I took a look through the people, and I should have knew it was bad news when I saw who I was looking at. Three of them. Sammy No-Neck Grasso, Earl Skeleton Keys, and a man I knew right away as Heinrich, the German Geidler, the so-called family doctor, if you will. I'd only ever seen him once, in an extortion job at Slapjack's Crawdad Boil about a year ago. He just stood in the corner the whole time and never said a word. That should have been my second indicator that things were already headed south. The German had many skills but only one job. Us boys in the business like to call it Lupara Bianca. But I'll get into that in a moment. So there I was. Every red flag waving in my face and I could see it even then. I thought about running but I knew it couldn't get very far from this corner in the building I lived in. Damned if all my best pieces weren't scattered about in uh, pieces on the kitchen table, still contemplating my life's last decisions, and little did I know how true that would be. I did what any respectable member of this thing of ours would do. I answered the door and let the boys in. Whatever happens, they can never say I was inhospitable. Gentlemen, I said, you forgive me for not shaking hands. As you can see, I'm getting the ladies ready for a scuffle tonight. You uh, can help yourselves to whatever you like in the fridge, though. That's all right, Frank. We just came from dinner said Sammy. I watched Earl's skeleton keys out of the side of my eye, and he watched me. He etched his neck to distract me from his other hand being in his pocket. I did my best to make no sudden moves. Sammy extended out one of his thick tree trunk arms to the German who was standing behind him. I'm sure you met Mr. Heinrich before. Never uh, formally met, but I seen him around, I said, wiping my hands on a rag. How you doing? The old man looked back at me without so much as a nod or a wink. He carried a monotonous demeanor to him, with all the charm of a concrete slab. This was the first time I noticed he had one dead eye sitting in that stone face of his. It was milky white and ticked to the side. He had all the life of a dead cat in him, but wasn't nearly as cute. Yeah, all right, I said. What's this about, boys? Now I know you want to ask me to go dancing with you and all, but you know I got a job tonight, as you can see. As a matter of fact, Frank, that's what we're here for, Sammy said. The Don called us in. Wants to see if you might mind having a bit of extra help tonight, as it were. Help, I say. Well, that's awful generous of him, boys, but I ain't never been offered no help before. Why now? They got quiet for a second, each of them waiting for the others to make up an answer or something. Finally, Sammy croaked up and said, uh, We're sure you can handle it, Frank, but the boss just wants it done, is all. One guy is fine, but four is better, am I right? Guess so, I said. I put the rag on the table and Earl watched my hands. This was almost funny to me now. Every person in the room was acting like we didn't know what was really going on here. I knew this whole charade wasn't over yet, so I had to keep up my part of the play. This is a bit of a stealth mission, boys. I creep in and I creep out. I mean, the four of us for just one guy seems a bit much, don't it? Not that I don't appreciate what is offered here. Change of plan, said Sammy. This ain't just one tonight. Boss wants up to light the whole place up. You can leave your goods on the table here, Frankie. 
Boss set us up with four brand new toms and slugs to match. Come on out and we'll show you. You pick whichever one you want, you take it and you keep it. Compliments, you know? Though we all knew it was a lie, I was surprised about how good it was for a guy that once shot at the cops in broad daylight. But as it was, Sammy knew me well enough to know that I can't say no to a new piece of hardware, even if it was as real as a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. He sealed the deal for me when he blurted out the magic words from his flapping fish lips. We got him in the car now, Frank. Why don't you come out and take a look? I couldn't believe these mugs. With little options left before me, I gave him a rock-solid stare and I said, Sure, why not? I went to the front and reached up for my jacket, and Earl stopped me with a touch on the arm. He could be gentle when he wanted to, when he was getting at something. Of course, the other hand still stayed inside his coat pocket. You won't need that, he said. We'll be back in a minute. All right, Earl, whatever you say, I said. But if I catch cold, are you going to bring me some chicken soup? He stared right back at me. The least he could do is give a courtesy laugh if this were my last few moments alive. I opened the door and walked out. The car was parked around the bend in the dark, of course. Sammy made his way in front of me and popped the trunk when we got there, but it didn't open all the way. Take a look, he said, pointing. I sighed through my nose, took a step forward, and opened it all the way. Gee, boys, I said. Someone has gone and made off with all the guns. And all they've left us with is this wide open space inside the trunk here. That's when I felt the butt of a gun come down on the back of my skull like John Henry's hammer on a railroad tie, and I blacked out. The last thing I remember thinking was, at least it was quick. And boy, was I ever wrong about that. I woke up on my back and Earl's filthy hands under my nose as he passed the smelling salt in front of my face. He grinned when I opened my eyes, and when he stood up, I could see all three of them looking down at me. Sammy Earl and that goddamn German. I knew right away where I was, right outside the infamous old swamp shack, the graveyard with no tombstones, as they called it. It was a place of myths for many. I'd never even seen it myself, and I'd been with the family since I was a kid. I couldn't even point it out on a map if I wanted to reserved only for the most heinous rivals and the bitter betrayals that the family ever knew. And now here I was. The brown fall leaves from the trees swayed behind them as the wind kicked up. The boys were down to their undershirts and covered in dirt. Well, Sam and Earl were. That German looked like he just stood there and watched them the entire time. Boys, I said. Goodness, I seem to have taken a spill somehow. Little help up, maybe? Cut the bullshit, Frank, said Earl. You know why you're here. Yeah, I said. It's because I stared at a Nico Martinelli's groomer's ankles a little too much when she wore that little black dress, wasn't it? Fuck you, Frank. Knock it off. You squealed. I got serious now. They were gonna kill my family. We're your family, Frankie. And you betrayed us. Some fucking family, I said. I tried to move to get myself out and Sammy stepped on my chest with his big fucking boat of a shoe, putting his entire weight on me. I gasped for air. Now here's what's gonna happen, Frank. As you can see, we've brought the good doctor with us. He ain't much for physical strength or teamwork, but he's gonna fix you up right good and proper. He's gonna give you something to make you sleep real good. And right before we put you under, he's gonna give you something else to make you wake up from your pretty dreams so you can experience the final minutes of your life trapped in that coffin, Frankie. 
every single squealing minute of your life until you croak. Gosh, Earl, I said, pushing Sammy's foot away from my chest. I'm really getting the royal treatment for this one. I must have really pissed someone off up top, didn't I? What happened to him? Tend to life? It ain't funny, Frank. None of the shit you say is funny. But it ain't just what you did. It's the example we gotta set for any other wise guy who thinks he's slick enough to get away with being a rat. We're through with you, Frank. Goodbye. Go, Doc. Juice him up. Let's get this shit over with. Wait, I tried to say, as if stating my case in this position would be enough to hold off my judge, jury, and executioners off right here after they've already issued me my sentence. I see the German fill up a syringe from a little bottle and I scream when he jabs it into my neck. And just like promised, sleep comes quicker than a sailor on payday. How do I look? Asked little Michael. He's looking up at me with a burlap bag over his head and two great big eye holes cut out of it. I tell him he looks good, but I don't get what he's supposed to be. The garbage boy, I ask? He gets mad at me and I can see it through the eye holes. He looks just like his mother when he's upset like that. No, Dad, he said in his little muffled voice through the burlap. Can't you tell I'm a ghost? Oh, that's right, of course, I tell him. Of course you are. Now I see it like a bag ghost. I get it. Sandra comes in through the other room, carrying a tray of popcorn balls and a black apron. She's wearing a witch hat, the same one that she wears every year. She looks gorgeous in it, along with the black dress she's in. Frank, are you going to help me with these friggin' treats or what? She says, with the same look on her face as him. I laugh at the similarity, and she asks what's funny. Nothing, I say as I turn back to Michael. All right, I say. You got your bag? Not the one on your head, but the one for candy? He nods at me and says, yeah, with a little mouthful of crooked teeth. Now remember what I told you last year? He nods. I say, what was it? Tell me again. Stay out of dark alleyways, and if someone asks for your candy, you, um, you, um, go ahead, I said. You can say it, this one time. Kick him in the dick and run away. That's right, I say, grinning from ear to ear. He may have his mother's looks, but he has his father's sensibilities. I tie up his burlap ghost face and straighten his clothes up a bit. I turn and see my daughters, Raylene and Tiffany, sitting on the floor of the living room, putting the finishing touches on some makeup. They both decided to go as clowns this year, just like last year. In fact, I think Michael wore the same thing last year also, if I can remember. I see Sandra in the kitchen mixing up a big bowl of popcorn and caramel with a wooden spoon. I come up behind her and grab her by the waist. Hey, come on, she says. Just tell me for a second here, Frank. I got dinner burning on the stove here. There'll be time for that after the kids leave the house. I kiss her on the neck. She's been gone for a while now, but I can remember everything about her. I feel like I'm forgetting something, though. I can't quite place it. Something ain't right, I say. What are you talking about, she says. Why don't you make yourself useful and go downstairs and get me a can of green beans? Two if we got them. Hurry up. Yeah, uh, sh sure, I say. I let go of her and I walk across the kitchen. Didn't I have guns sitting on the table earlier? I know I did. Where did they go? Maybe Sandra moved them, but then again, it doesn't make any sense. What are you doing, she said, frying potatoes in a skillet. You're just standing there. Go get my green beans, Lunkhead. She gave me a wink when she said this, and I muttered, sure. I went down the hall from the kitchen and kept my hand on the wall, feeling the wood and paint underneath my fingertips. 
I looked at the pictures hung up as I passed them and stared at the picture of me in my service uniform. I thought I had broken this. In fact, I thought I had broken it and burned it a few weeks ago. What was it doing still up on the wall? I could still hear the sounds of my family coming from the kitchen. I open the door to the cellar. It's cold and dark down here. I take a few steps down and feel for the chain from the light bulb. I grab it and click it a few times, but it doesn't come on. The darkness down below is thicker than anything I ever seen before, and yet I still make my way down. I'm walking, feeling, something. You could call it curiosity, made me want to keep going forward. With my hand out, I feel something. A wall. But not the cold concrete wall I'm familiar with, but it feels like wood. Cheap, splintery wood. I don't know what makes me want to do this, but I press on it, and it feels solid, but has a slight squish to it. I reach back my hand and bump my elbow into something, and when I try to take a step back, I feel like I've hit something else. I feel like I'm lying down now. I yell for my wife, but the sound goes out into the dark and I realize I'm shouting into nothing. I can't move too far in any direction and feel more wood above me. Dirt falls on my face and into my mouth. And now I know for certain I'm not home anymore. When you snitch on the family, there is one place and one place only that you end up. And that was right here, right now. I knew what would happen to me if they found out. Make that when they found out. Because I knew it wasn't going to be very long before my number was up. And as I think about my regrets concerning what brought me here now, I can only hope that Sandra and the kids were well hidden someplace, and that my efforts were not in vain. But for now, I was here. I always wondered what it would be like. I had this in my head so many times that it seemed like all the paranoia leading up to it was just practice. I knew not to waste my breath, especially after screaming my wife's name into nothing. I wonder if they could hear that. I hope not. I don't want to give them the pleasure. I don't know how long I'd been asleep, but I knew I couldn't waste the air. Panic crept inside me like poison in my belly, and I let the feeling sit in me for just a moment. I took small breaths and laid still. This, I told myself, just like swimming. You panic, you lose. Of course, I was never a strong swimmer as it was. I take a small breath and push above me again. This time slow, gentle. I feel it move just a little bit. More dirt falls on my face and I spit it out of my mouth. I know I can't afford to keep wasting breath to do this, so I crossed my arms over my chest and wiggled on my back to pull my shirt over my head and tuck it underneath my skull. The feeling of the cloth on my face calms me down just a bit for some strange reason, and I can smell the oil and grease through the fabric from which I had cleaned my guns earlier. I feel around for the wooden lid above me. It feels light and flimsy. Thank God for the good old traditional mob craftsmanship. I see if I can kick the top with my feet, but there's not a lot of leg room in here. I guess they don't really make these coffins size to order. The next thing I try to do is stabilize my hands on the coffin floor and thrust up with my knees. It doesn't feel like it's moving, so I start feeling around again. Panic is starting to swell up in me again, so I slow down. I run my fingers across the top and see if I can feel any grooves from the boards and so on. I find one. I pick at it for a bit, wondering how I can finagle my way to splintering these apart, and then I remember I'm still wearing my wedding ring. The bastards let me keep my ring, how nice of them. 
I feel around and realize I can use it to pry the boards a little if I angle it just right. I go a little lower, near my stomach. If I can pry the boards and hit it with my knees, I think I can get one of these boards loose. And so I keep at it. It somehow happens to work, and dirt begins to fall out of the crack I'm making little by little. I wipe it off my chest towards my feet. This task, this work, what I'm doing here, it takes so long. The ring keeps slipping out, and I can feel my knuckles moist with blood. Just because I can't take full breaths, it leads to panic more and more, and then I end up swallowing air to catch my beating heart. I can feel the air becoming thinner and thinner, and even choke on gag on it a few times trying to get my wits about me. I'm just a box now. A man in a dark box underneath a world where no one can see or touch. I am the darkness now. The ring slips out from the crack again, and I hit my hand on the coffin wall. The pain shoots through my arm, and I almost feel a comfort to let me know that I'm alive. I lie still for just a moment, my heart beating up into my neck. I wonder how many times this has been tried before. I wonder how many bodies are out here. 40, 50, 100? There's no way of knowing. At what point did they know when to give up? Was it the point that I'm at? Did I give up? Am I giving up? Did I fight my way out of childhood in a slum to end up in the mob and live good enough to raise a family just to give up? Was it worth betraying that mob when my work started coming close to my family? Was it worth it for a mob to throw me in here no matter how many times I stole or killed for them? Did a family like the mob really consider me a person family like a family is family? I took a deep breath and coughed and shot my fist up to the top of the coffin and hit it, pushing with my knees at the same time. I hit it the weakened part I'd been working on again and again. Dirt sprayed all over me and I pushed it away. I put my elbows on the floor and struck the top with my hips over and over again, careful to keep my breathing steady. And then I heard the magic sound I'd been waiting for. Crack. I was getting dizzy. I felt around for the top and found a divot in the wood that crested upward and kept hitting it with my fist, then got enough room over it to wiggle my fingers to the side of it and pulled down. The plank broke and dirt spilled all over me. I kept pushing into it with my feet. I grabbed the other planks and tugged at them till they broke apart and more dirt spilled on me. I pried the boards off to where the top of my head was now and pushed the broken pieces to my side enough where I could dig through the dirt enough to sit up in it. A broken board scratched deeply through my back and I raised through the freshly dug dirt. My lungs were screaming for air and I was on the threshold of a full panic. I scooped on up with my hands and pushed up with my feet and joy came to my heart as I saw flickers and glimpses of the pale light from the swamp and tasted the cold, mossy air. Finally, I had gotten to where I could stick my mouth through the dirt and breathe sweet, sweet breath, which I will never take for granted, even if I only live another six seconds longer. I lay halfway out of the ground for a few moments and gulp in huge breaths of air, and when my lungs finally settle, I laugh. My head is reeling and my entire body is in pain, some areas worse than others. Parts of my skin got caught on nails and broken boards and I'm bleeding, but all in all I'm just happy to be alive. I shuffle myself out of the hole and want to scream victory, but then I notice something off in the distance. A little shed with a light on inside. The joy from my heart drops, and I know the night ain't over. Just yet. 
I crouch low and make my way over. I see the car that they had thrown me in parked by the side. I knew the three of these pieces of shit were in there, but I had to be careful just in case anyone else was around. This was one of our infamous business houses. This one in particular was a secret among secrets, much like every other hole dug in the ground out here. There was an open window around the back and I could hear talking. I crouched below and listened. Bah! said the German. I could hear cards slapping on the table. Sounds like the boys were having a little game of poker after a job well done. Then I heard a bottle clink on a glass. Naturally, they were having a little drink to end the night of my murder with a kiss. Looks like you lost again, Kaiser, I hear Earl say. Sounds like these boys were plenty blitzed by now, which made me wonder how long I was down there. Had to have been at least a couple of hours, uh, so I think. One more loss and you might have to melt down your own jewelry. Bah, he said again, throwing the cards off the table. Fuck you, this game is moronic, much like yourselves, and you both cheat. This is outrageous. Ah, you're just a sore loser, Earl says, and I hear another clink from the bottle. That's right, boys, drink up. Get good and blowed. Besides, you call us morons, you can't even win a simple poker game? And you supposed to be a doctor or something? I thought doctors were supposed to be smart, at least the ones from countries that didn't lose wars. <laughs> said the German. I can feel him getting indignant. Well, I wouldn't be in this shice country if Uncle Sam hadn't barged in and destroyed the greatest force of power the world has ever seen until das Atombom. Which, mind you, we were only a step behind on. And dust is everything went to hell in a handbasket. And I end up here working with the dogs of the spaghetti-sucking mafia and play the silly little card games. Sammy placed his cards on the table with an audible slap and went for the bottle again. Well, how's about this, Doc? I can get up right now and we get the shovel out and we go dig up our friend Funny Frankie from the monk out there. And then he can ring up his buddy in the FBI, and they can ship your ass back to the old country, huh? Then they can drop you off somewhere near Nuremberg, and then throw you in the good old schnitzel stuffing clank with the rest of your SS buddies. Wouldn't it be nice to see the old gang again? I'm sure they miss you. The table got quiet. Nah? That's it then? Alright. Well, good you know your place. We keep you safe from the watchful eye of the international authorities, and you help us out with your sick, twisted Gestapo medicine. Works out for everyone, don't it? Yeah? Alright. Well, let's just play another game, huh? I'll lend you some money, Doc, and you can owe me. Just like you owe the family. Speaking of Frank, I wonder how he's doing in there, said Earl. You ever wonder exactly what it is they get that ticket to hell punched, if you get me? You ever think about how we could have guys from last year still scratching around down there for all we know? I'm oh, shithead, said Sammy with the glass to his lips. I don't like to think about it. This way of doing shit is too fancy for me. I don't see the point. If it were up to me, I would have put a bullet in his head and sent him down the river. I know that Don likes to make examples out of people, but it gives me the fucking heebie-jeebies. I hate it down here. I hear Earl laugh. Ho <laughs> ho! Big bad man here afraid of what's in a few dirt holes, huh? Shut up, Earl. Nah, come on, what is this? I seen you take guys out like you're putting sugar in your coffee, and this is what gets to you? Please. Shut up, Earl. Earl laughed again, and I could hear the anger in the cards being dealt out. I mean, what do you think is gonna happen? 
They catch you unaware out here for a second, and then you think they're gonna rise up from the ground like Dracula, huh? That's the most chicken shit thing I ever heard from a guy the size of three guys. I could practically feel Sammy's eyes burning a hole through Earl, and I knew when to take a cue. I scratched my bloody fingers across the wooden boards of the shack and howled like a wolf. Knowing full well I was still covered in dirt and blood, I waited just a second and popped up from below, smashing the window with a bare fist, and I yell, Frankie's back from hell, boys, and I'm taking you with me! If you could have only seen the look on their faces. Sammy nearly bumped over the entire shack running, and Earl flung himself out of the other window, leaving everything behind. Money, cockies, guns, even the cards and booze. They both ran into that swamp faster than I have ever seen anyone move on two legs. I could have died laughing, ironically, after getting myself out of a coffin. They would run out into that swamp and hide until morning, and then tell everyone what they had just seen for the rest of their lives. I may have, in fact, just signed their retirement papers, as it were. The German, however, was a different story. I guess I got him at a bad time, because all he could do was sit there and shake. He held his chest and struggled to maintain composure at the old card table, and his eyes widened at me with every second. A stiff wind or a stray leaf could take him across the threshold of death. So naturally, I lean in close and say, He lies flat on the floor and croaks within a second. I get the car keys, the cash, and I hit the road to go home. The mob never came looking for me again after I found my family. And why would they? You couldn't kill a man who could escape his own grave. You have been listening to In Too Deep, written and performed by myself, Nicholas Corys. Background ambience provided by Tabletop Audio. Support them at tabletopaudio.com. And music provided by bensound.com. Please let us know if you're enjoying the show by subscribing and follow us on Instagram at NicholasNoExit, all one word. And please drop me a message to let me know what you think of the show. You have been listening to No Exit with Nicholas Corys. Good night.